Well, hello and welcome to a new episode of the Political State Podcast from the Oklahoman. I'm Ben Felder, along with Carmen Foreman. And welcome to those who are listening or watching. We are here at the state capitol on the first floor. It is filing week. Uh, we're recording this on Thursday, April 14th. So we were a little over halfway through the three-day filing period of which candidates for state and federal office in Oklahoma have to trek down here, or at least send a surrogate, here to the state capitol. They, they pay their fee. They, they sign up officially. And so, uh, Carmen, you and I and several other reporters you know, at the Oklahoma and other outlets have been kind of camped out here, so to speak, to kind of see who's going to file. Um, who's going to show up? I think we've kind of had a pretty good idea of who to expect. We kind of wanted to know if there were going to be any surprises, of which we kind of hinted at maybe on previous episodes. You know, are we going to see any surprises, especially in the governor's race? But we, I don't know. We haven't really seen any unexpected names, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of disappointed. Is yeah. that okay to say? Yeah. I mean, I just uh, everybody that said they were going to run in the governor's race is pretty much they've pretty much filed. Um, there were rumors of other potentially big names that you would know in Oklahoma Republican politics, possibly filing to run as Republicans or run as an independent, and we just haven't seen anything surprising. Yeah, we've talked about the governor's race quite a bit on this show, and we'll continue to do so this year. Uh, Governor Kevin Stitt was one of the first people to file on Wednesday morning. Um, he had a staffer there holding his spot. He came down with his wife and a couple of his kids. You had a chance to talk to him after he filed. Uh, he was pretty upbeat. seemed like he was ready to go in, in this election. Which is going to start with a contested primary, a couple of a couple of challengers. You know what? What did you hear from the governor after filing for re-election? Yeah, I mean, I think it's safe to say that he didn't he didn't come off as worried. I mean, of course, he said, you know, we'll know what the playing field looks like at the end of the day on Friday when candidate filing officially ends. But um, he basically said, you know, last time I ran in the Republican primary, there were 10 candidates and it was open season. And he still managed to, you know, rise to the top of that. Uh, you're right. Nobody knew who we were. We came in and and uh, it's just a different feeling today that uh, just so proud of Oklahoma, where, how far we've come, the largest savings account in our state history, lowest unemployment, uh, just really things are moving in the right direction. So he just seemed very upbeat. Um, he didn't seem to have a lot of concerns about his Republican challengers, didn't ask about his potential Democratic challengers, Connie Johnson or state school superintendent, uh, Joy Hoffmeister. But I don't know, he's not really sweating it. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, as the day after he filed, he went to uh, Florida where former President Donald Trump's hosted a big fundraiser for him at Mar-a-Lago. So, you know, hard to be worried when you got Donald Trump's endorsement and you've got that Trump money and all his connections helping yeah, you out. Especially at a time when maybe his challengers are going to try to run to add him from the right a little bit. And it's, I don't know, we could devote a whole episode or series to Trump and, and how he is or is not a Republican, but right now he is the leader of the Republican Party, yes. um, and his opinion holds a lot of sway, especially in a state like Oklahoma. You know, if anybody knows what it's like to be an up-and-comer and outperform your expectations, it's Stitt. You know, but he didn't knock off an incumbent. It was an open race the last time Last time he won. Um, I think what's going to be really interesting to watch is we now have this guy who's been the self-proclaimed outsider is purely an insider now. Yeah. And I don't know, do you expect that to kind of change how, how he runs? Well, it was interesting because I asked him about some of these claims that his uh, his opponent, Joel Kinzel, is, is making that, you know, his administration, that Stitt's administration is corrupt or, you know, that he's giving jobs to his friends and that there's 
allegations of cronyism. Like Swadley's uh, barbecue, there's clearly something amiss there, something improper was done. And my own experience has been that there's an effort by OMES, which is controlled by the governor, to steer contracts to specific contractors. That can't be good. We, we need to get back to uh, competitive bidding where the, the best value for Oklahoma is what is contracted for and not somebody's buddy. Stick kind of shrugged it off and said, well, that's coming from a career bureaucrat who's, you know, worked in state government for a long time. And, and so I think Stitt is still trying to sort of play the, the outsider a little bit. But the one thing I did think, and maybe this is just par for the course when uh, it's not an open race and there's an incumbent running, but it seemed to me that every other candidate for governor basically came out swinging against Stitt, except for maybe Connie Johnson. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, uh, Hoffmeister is, is running against it. I mean, she has to win a Democratic primary, but I haven't seen any polling, but you would expect her to be the front runner for no other reason than the financial power that she has, significantly more money than Connie Johnson. Uh, I, Connie Johnson has run for governor before. She's run for U.S. Senate, both was unsuccessful in both those races, but she's running against Hoffmeister. And I think, you know, it's interesting. I mean, she's running, I talked to her yesterday when she filed, and she's kind of going through her political resume, which is one of the most progressive in the state. Yep. She's running in a Democratic primary that's also open to independents, so it's not necessarily a purely progressive voter block. But she's saying, listen, I've got the Democratic credentials. My opponent um, hasn't even been a Democrat for more than, than several months. But I don't know that it's going to matter. Um, at least Hoffmeister's team doesn't expect it to matter. They're they're focused on, on Governor's Day. Yeah, and I mean, Hoffmeister and her team don't really seem to be shifting her message to prepare for a Democratic primary. I mean, we're not hearing her talk about traditionally Democratic issues. I mean, she's always talked about education and health care and things like that, but she's not really shifting what she's talking about or how she's talking about it to... I don't know, I guess match a more progressive electorate in the Democratic primary. Yeah. I mean, she put out a statement yesterday when she filed. And she actually didn't file. She had someone file for her. Uh, she came down with COVID. I understand that she's doing better this week, but not able to. She's still in, in isolation. But uh, she put out a statement and said nothing about Connie Johnson. It was all all about Governor Stitt. Um, so they're, you know, they've got their eyes towards the general. And, you know, they're probably hoping that, you know, Stitt will arrive at the general, maybe a little bloodied from a primary challenge. Um, I don't know. With with three candidates, uh, we'll wait to see if there's going to be another Republican. Like you said, the two challengers are first. It are Joel Kinzel and Mark Sherwood, who we've expected. We haven't yes. seen that surprise name yet, but who knows? We've recorded this on Thursday. Maybe by Friday there will be a surprise <laughs> name. Um, but I haven't seen any names on there that make me think that sits really in trouble or even at risk of going to a runoff, maybe. No, I mean, I, the most recent polling I saw had Mark Sherwood polling at 14%, and he's, of course, taking from the far-right electorate uh, that would show up in a GOP primary. And so, like, let's say, you know, he picked up another 10% in the next couple months. Joel Kinzel doesn't have a lot of name recognition. I know that he's going to spend the next few months trying to amplify his name recognition and and resonate with voters. Former state Senator Irvin Yen, who announced all, a, about a year and a half ago, I think he was the first, maybe Connie Johnson had already announced she was running for governor no, no, at that point. Yen but was she, the okay, first. so he was the first and announced that he's going to take on Governor State in the Republican primary purely because of what he thought was a failed response to COVID. Yeah. Uh, Yen is a doctor. I'm a scientist. I'm a doctor. I know masks work. I know they work. And I know vaccines work and I know they're safe and the benefits of vaccines far, far outweigh the risks. 
and I know that Trump did not win the election. There have been many people who've tried to contest it since the election, and they've all failed. Trump did not win. Now, he filed today as an independent, but still continued to talk about how he saw what he saw as shortcomings from Kevin Stitt and how he responded to COVID. And I just wonder, I mean, for a variety of reasons, I don't think he ends obviously a threat to Stitt in this election. But I don't know if COVID, how winning of an issue COVID is. I mean, we are... As you can see, if you're watching, I mean, we're no one here is wearing masks. Ian was the only person I saw in a mask today, and then he took it off to talk to us. Um, but um, you know, in a state like Oklahoma, in early 2022, COVID is just, for right or wrong, is just not much of an issue right now. Yeah, and I think you know, Yen could try to push for it to be, but the longer we go without any major resurgence or any new variants that are, you know, more transmissible or than the previous ones. I mean, people people do just kind of want to get back to their regular lives. I mean, I don't wear a mask when I go to the grocery store anymore, and I'm not concerned about eating in a crowded restaurant anymore. I got my shots. I'm good. Uh, I had COVID. So it's just like an afterthought at this point. For a lot of people. And there's a lot of Oklahomans who felt like the governor responded correctly. And a lot of people who, who had some skepticism towards uh, some of the mandates or uh, mandates in other states. And, you know, if you remember Hoffmeister, when she first announced last fall, she kind of came out with this message of the governor had failed us when it came to COVID, specifically on the school front. But I don't hear her talking about that quite as much. No. And going back to, you know, um, Dr. Yen, I think the interesting thing to watch in the general election, you know, if he keeps with it, if Hoffmeister advances to the general, is that my guess is he takes more votes from Hoffmeister than he does from Stitt because, you know, he's, I just think Yen and Hoffmeister have a lot more in common and a voter who might consider Hoffmeister might also consider Yen, but I don't think either of them would be super inclined to vote for Stitt. Yeah, and I wonder if it'd even be enough to matter at this point. I mean, unless it came down to a few hundred, but that would be, uh, I'm sure Hoffmeister would take that right now, a race that was within, you know, a few hundred votes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we're going to continue to talk about the governor's race, if we all, as we already have. And like I said, at, at, after this post on Friday, you know, check with us. We'll, we'll basically obviously have some coverage if there is a surprise candidate. Um, but I haven't even heard any of those. I mean, you know, like we've been down here to like, in case a Mick Cornette walks through the room. I mean, we haven't heard that, but I mean, like in case he, he were to show up. And sometimes those surprise uh, filings do come on Friday. So we do have another day. Yeah. And obviously that could that could shake up the race. It's not just filing week. It's also another deadline week here at the state capitol. So you've kind of been keeping your eye on the legislature a few floors upstairs. Uh, so this is the deadline week to get out of the commit second committee, right? Right. Or, committee of the opposite chamber. Okay. So a bill is passed through its committee. It's passed through its original chamber of origin. It goes to the other chamber. Yes. And now it has to get out of that committee. Yes. Any big surprises that we've seen this week? <laughs> no. I mean, I'll be honest that with candidate filing, I haven't kept as close to tabs as I should have on the legislature this week. Um, no, I wouldn't say any major surprises. I mean, there was a bit of a spat between uh, Representative Chris Kennedy and uh, Senator Julie Daniels because Daniels didn't hear one of his bills. And she's also, you know, kind of come under fire for not hearing the data privacy bills from Representative Josh, Josh West and Colin Walkie's bipartisan bill that keeps passing the Oklahoma House with like 
overwhelming support, and then it goes to the Senate, and it goes to this committee that Senator Daniels chairs, which is the Judiciary Committee, and it she just hasn't heard, she didn't hear it last year, she didn't hear it this year, and then she also has declined to hear Kennedy's bill that um, relates to uh, workers' comp benefits for um, first responders that are suffering from PTSD, and so he had a whole, you know, kind of he was outraged a bit this yeah. week, and so then he decided, oh, hey, here's a dozen Senate bills that are supposed to be heard in my committee. Well, I'm not going to hear them. Just let them die because, you know, it's payback, I guess. So, you know, that's not unusual on a deadline week, and, you know, committee chairs can decide what they hear and what they don't want to hear. And one of the other bills that didn't get heard was um, House Appropriations Chairman Kevin Wallace was pushing for a turnpike expansion kind of near his district, sort of the Luther, mm -hmm. Arcadia area, um, and he wanted, you know, the turnpike authority to go in and lay out the routes for this. Um, so basically, he had a bill that would put in statute the exact extension, and, you know, it gets through the House. It goes to the Senate, and it happens to land in uh, Senate Transportation Committee, where the chairman, Senator Rob Standridge of Norman, is dealing with, you know, a proposed turnpike expansion basically in his backyard, and he's getting calls from frustrated constituents, angry constituents, and so he basically said, well, it's not really a good time to think about expanding more turnpikes. Yeah. Turnpikes can be an interesting issue, especially in an election year. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's solely a winning issue. We've seen some candidates in the past that have based their whole campaign, you know, uh, my mind's drawing blank on the name, but we had a candidate for governor four years ago that ran on the, an anti-turnpike establishment. But oh. um, it's kind of a, I was talking about this with a, with a campaign staffer on another campaign earlier this week about just, you know, it's not something you want to build your whole campaign on, but you, there's enough people that kind of get upset about turnpikes, especially in the rural areas when they come visit the cities, they kind get a little frustrated that they're having to pay more to drive on the roads, although the turnpikes are in rural areas too now. So, um, yeah, turnpikes are going to be an interesting thing to watch, um, you know, here moving forward, especially with what's going down in Norman. For sure. And I just think there's uh, frustration among lawmakers that, you know, that Stitt and the Turnpike Authority didn't really come to them and tell them about this massive expansion plan that's going to last 15 years and cost $5 billion. Now, granted, the Turnpike Authority doesn't need their permission to do anything of it because they already got the legislature's permission but I think lawmakers are a little salty like hey this is coming through my district and you didn't think to pick up the phone and call me first yeah this wouldn't be the first time though that we've seen the governor or his team make a decision that's kind of riled the legislature on an issue that they've already essentially given him the money to do I'm thinking you've talked a little bit about the the tourism department and, yeah. and some of the uh, facilities that have been invested in and state parks they gave him the money and now they're kind of hearing some of the backstory or hearing some complaints from people and they're starting now to ask questions. It's kind of the same thing with, it kind of reminds me of the turnpike a little bit. It does and it reminds me of the managed care debate. Yeah. I mean the legislature gave the governor more authority over the health care authority and then he turns around, he uses it to try to implement managed care and they're like, no, we don't like this one bit. <laughs> yeah, some of yeah, some of the complaints the legislature has. I mean, it's by things that they gave him the power to do, and um, you yes. know. But hey, that's politics. You know, as years change, you uh, you decide that maybe the vote you made last year wasn't, you know, you didn't foresee what was going to happen. So right, <laughs> um, especially when you're in a honeymoon period with with a governor. Um, I, Finally, as we talk about the legislative session, we're kind of technically almost on the home stretch a little bit, however you want to look at that. We're probably going to start to hear 
you know, talk from leaders like, hey, we want to end early. They almost never do, at least by, you know, maybe by a day or two. But the budget is the one, you know, big thing that we still have to come to. Um, we've talked about just the, the budget is kind of something that gets worked on behind closed doors and, and a final package is kind of presented to lawmakers with a few days to spare. But we'll probably start to hear more rumors about what to expect in the budget in the weeks to come. Absolutely. And I do think there are some lawmakers that would take issue with your description of the budget process. I do remember after you wrote earlier this mm -hmm. year about how the budget is largely crafted behind closed doors, Pro Tip Treat said, well, that's not true. We have one of the most transparent budget processes in the country. If they want to sit down and go over the budget with me, I would be happy to recant that. But I don't think they're going to do that. And I, I would ha have a feeling that a majority of legislatures they wouldn't do that with. But anyways. Yes. But I do think we're getting to that point where, um, you know, budget negotiations are definitely happening. Um, from everything I've heard, they're going well. And the chambers and the governor seem to agree on most parts of it. And it's interesting. I was talking to somebody earlier this week. Um, you know, there were some Republican lawmakers and Democratic lawmakers that really cheered earlier this week when Senate Finance killed a bill that would have phased out the corporate income tax over, I want to say, eight years. And this person I was talking to, we were just both talking about how it didn't really matter that the bill died because everything is going to shift to budget negotiations right now. If the House really wants to phase out the corporate income tax, they're going to talk do about that in budget, yeah. and they'll do it that way if they can find agreement with the Senate and the governor's office. So, and and you know, even that turnpikes bill I just referenced. Well, Representative Wallace chairs the House Appropriations Committee. If he didn't like that his mm -hmm. bill died in Senate Transportation, he can find a way to try to revive it through the budget process or through a JCAP bill. Yeah, all roads lead to the budget sometimes. There's a way to revive those things. Um, I think tax decreases are going to be our tax cuts are going to be interesting to watch. We've heard some some of that before, and especially in election year, and especially at the time right now when you know uh, Republicans are talking a lot about inflation and how that's impacting Oklahomans. I expect to see some more of those conversations about tax cuts. Absolutely. I think some sort of tax cuts or tax relief make it into the budget. Um, House Speaker Charles McCall told me, I can't remember if it was this week or last week. I lose track of the weeks. But he basically said that they're really pushing for some sort of personal relief for, you know, regular taxpayers and then also some tax relief for businesses. That could be, you know, the franchise tax, that could be corporate tax cuts, who knows, but he, he basically said, you know, that's their focus. They want a little bit of both. Yeah. Well, still about a month, a month and a half left in the legislative session. Not too much time, but still enough time for a lot of big things to emerge, especially on the budget front, as you said. And filing is coming to a close uh, five o'clock on Friday, so uh, continue to check with the Oklahoman. We'll have uh, reports um, on any new candidates. We've got a running list right now on our website of all candidates that have filed for all races, and we'll continue to watch that. So it's election season, it's budget season. We're getting in some interesting topics. Uh, Carmen, thanks so much for your time. Yeah. Well, that's going to do it for this week's episode of the Political State Podcast. You can find us on your favorite podcasting app. Also find us on YouTube if you prefer to watch. Thanks for listening and watching. We'll be back with you next week.